Tonight we celebrate redemption. This is no funeral tonight. This is a celebration. We mourn our sin. We celebrate the cross. That's where I want you to go tonight with me. We celebrate birthdays because birthdays mark the day our lives actually began. Not potentially or possibly, but actually. We celebrate July the 4th to mark independence from England's tyranny. Not a day where we discuss the theory of a democratic republic. We celebrate wedding anniversaries not as the day we became marriageable, but when our gift from God actually married us. And yet so often when it comes to the cross, we unwittingly or mistakenly celebrate potential Not actual. We think of Christ's death as a possible redemption. Dear Christian, I stand before you tonight to tell you that Good Friday is our day of atonement. It is not our day of potential atonement. It's Good Friday, not maybe Good Friday. Good Friday, our day of redemption, our redemption from the slave block of sin. The day that you and I were acquired for God by a bloody death. I would say to you that it is the most awesome day in human history. And it was a long time coming. Israel was in bondage to the superpower of the day. They were slaves for over 400 years. To a force, a world force, a powerful nation called Egypt. They had to make bricks and then they took away the straw and they still had to make even more bricks. It was a burden. It was horrible. It was a tyranny. And they were in bondage. And finally, after some centuries of this, they cried out to the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. They called out to the God of gods, the King of kings. And he began systematically to dismantle that superpower. One plague by plague, totaling ten Until he broke the back of wicked Pharaoh and Egypt. What an amazing thing that final plague was. The Passover. God's creative solution to break the chains of bondage was a one-year-old lamb. A lamb that would be slain. But this provision would only be for those under the blood. It was God's definite provision for the children Of Israel. It was not for Egypt. It was even more definite than that. It wasn't one general sacrifice for the whole nation. But particular lambs for particular households. As the grim reaper visited Egypt that night. Only those under the protective hood. Of the Passover lamb. Were spared. After that great deliverance and the Red Sea crossing, God gave this people a gracious provision. They were safe. They were out of Egypt, but they were yet still a sinful people. And so they needed a gracious provision from their rescuer. Here was the provision. When you sin, come to the priest and bring a sacrifice with you. Confess your sins to the Lord. Lay your guilty hands on the head of that innocent animal. Take a knife and kill it before the Lord. 
Beloved, if that's not a picture of definite, particular atonement, I don't know what is. The sinner brings the innocent lamb and the lamb is killed. Well, of course, there would be many more promises and prophecies and types that would come in redemptive history. Tonight, in the spirit of the book of Revelation, a book with literally hundreds of allusions to the Old Testament, but no direct reading of the Old Testament. I want to speak to you tonight about this definite atonement. The forsaken one would have his heart torn asunder like the veil of the temple and offer the cry of dereliction, the pain of utter abandonment, a cry written centuries before he spoke it to the brass heavens. Others were delivered, but not this self-proclaimed worm. But his being poured out like water would not be the waste of so much spilled milk at the kitchen table. This water would rise again and become a fountain of life, quenching our thirst forever. For this was no worm. This was the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning of the end, the living one who was dead. But now he is alive forever and he holds the keys of death and Hades. But first he must be stripped naked, pierced by dogs gawked at by mockers, that he would rise again, clothed in white, scarred and vindicated, with white garments to spare. He would in time dress those believing mockers in his own righteousness, even and because his heart melted like wax under the wrath of God. Not just a handful of mockers. But a great assembly would come to fear God because the pierced one paid his vows to the Most High. And not just Israelites. Though let me tell you, 3,000 was a good start the day Peter learned to preach. Untold sinners from the ends of the earth would one day repent and one day worship before King Jesus. This was guaranteed by ancient prophecy. It was ratified in blood. The children of children's children would worship him in spirit and truth, declaring not their own righteousness, for they had none, but declaring God's righteousness only after God declared them righteous because they were clothed. In the righteousness of the Lamb. The one who emptied himself would become full when the effects of his work are finally gathered to him. It will be like a great wheat harvest gathered into countless grain silos, shaken, pressed down, overflowing. How could Christ be so sure that his one death would accomplish so much? Because satisfaction guaranteed was stamped on the back of that cross just as our sins were nailed to the front. This would actually accomplish something in God's great design. Though he was despised and forsaken, ridiculed and rejected, he would bear our griefs. He would carry our sinful sorrows He would carry them up the path of agony to the place of the skull. 
not the griefs and sorrows of the reprobate. They would be on their own and they would get what they deserve. But there at Golgotha, Almighty God would smite him in our place. How can it be that millions of sick sheep can be healed by the piercing of one lamb? Because he bore the stroke for many, taking away their guilt and taking away their sin. How could he do that? Because he loved God's law. Meditating on it day and night. He was like a tree planted beside streams of water. And whatever he does, he prospers. He's successful. He accomplishes. He never violated one jot or tittle of all the law of God. Could his death possibly be for nothing? Could God's only son actually live and then die in vain? What if the blinded world stayed blind? What if no one ever cared? What if no one ever believed? Is that a possibility? Is God risking that when he gives up his own son at the cross? Oh, dear sister and brother in Christ, I would say there is perhaps no worse thought that could be imagined. There is perhaps no worse thought in my heart and my soul that could be imagined that that God would waste the death of his son. That God would leave it up to fickle sinners As to whether this death would accomplish something or not. No, I say to you, no. He endured the cross, despising its shame, because he knew that it would allow his God to justify the many. The many. As the Bible says, he would see his offspring. He would have his reward. The many. Not the all. Every single child of Adam was never the plan and therefore not the design and therefore not the purchase. Rather, God would justify those whom he called and he would call those whom he predestined and Christ would atone for them. Their iniquities he bore in his body on the tree so that they alone might die to sin and live to righteousness. And so we did. So we did. We died to sin and we lived to righteousness because he atoned for us. Not one will be lost. Not one of the father's plan. Though he was placed front and center as the worst thug and terrorist of them all. He was actually the righteous one bearing actual transgressions for actual transgressors. And as sovereignty would have it, as sovereignty would have it, even as he's dying, he's bearing the actual transgressors of one of those thugs by his side. The one who simply asked to be remembered by this king. It has been well said that one of them was saved So that none may despair, but only one, so that none may presume. And so Joseph, son of David, named his wife's son Joshua or Yeshua, meaning Yahweh saves. Because the angel promised Joseph, he will save his people from their sins. He and no one else 
will save, not try, His people. They already existed in the mind of God from their sins. From the penalty of their sins. From the power of their sins. And one day from the presence of their sins. Promise made, promise kept. When His human blood was shed for His people. Paying their price. Becoming the basis for a new and better covenant between God and men. A covenant that we enter into by faith and not by works. By resting and not by trying. By laying down our arms. Not by continuing our feverish efforts to please a holy God. This happened because even... God's Messiah, though he was deserving when he came, innumerable servants and a royal welcome. He came not to be served, but to serve. And he came to give his life a ransom for many. For many. For the wages of sin is death and the life is in the blood. Who are these many the scriptures keep referring to? Well, it's none other than the sheep for whom the good shepherd laid down his life. This was no hireling ready to cut and run at the first sign of danger. He came on a mission to die for his own because he had known them for eternity. And he would die for them in time. This good and great shepherd of the sheep has always had sheep. But they had a price on their heads that he alone could pay. And what a steep price it was. These are not cheap sheep. They will be very expensive. And so compelled by loving knowledge of both his father and his sheep. He laid down his life for both Jewish And Gentile sheep, making them one big happy herd under an awesome shepherd. The good shepherd. The very shepherd that David wrote about in those immortal words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. To be clear, the cross was not Jesus's idea. It was all his father's command and all his father's plan. There was a design behind the cross and Jesus obeyed the plan to the point of death. To be clear, his bloody slaughter did not create sheep. It redeemed them. They were already the children of God scattered abroad. They were already chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. They were already written in the, in the Lamb's book of life. And to be precise, his death didn't save or forgive the sheep either. That would come later. That would come in time. Let us not confuse election with redemption, with salvation. Now, what happened at the cross is that he atoned for their sins, all of them. Making their salvation in time a certain reality, a guaranteed event. When in time the children of wrath would be born again by the grace and power of God and become children of God in experience, in reality. But how to gather children that are scattered across time and terrain? 
By lifting up a dying lamb. By lifting up a dying lamb so that he could draw all men to himself. Both those who are near and those who are far, far away. The Jews were considered near. They were God's chosen people. They had been blessed with the word of God. The rest of the world, you and me, we were far, far away. But it was this death of Christ that brought us near. One of those drawn Jews wrote that God didn't just feel this love. God didn't just talk about this love, that God demonstrated this love that while we were yet sinners, yet rebels, yet going our own way, Christ died for who? Us. He died for us. Have more shocking words ever been written? Well, this is precisely how the God of the universe The God of the universe shows us that he is for us and not against us. He handed over his innocent son once for all time. Once for all believers, he handed him over to his own wrath. He delivered him up for us all. And so now we who are in Christ can humbly brag. I have been crucified with Christ. And so now, one by one, young and old, we can stand in the waters of baptism and we can say with confidence, Christ loved me and gave himself up for me. And by his doing, I am in Christ Jesus. It is only dying love then that could reconcile warring parties. Only dying love could cause a man to lay down his weapons of war against God Only dying love of this kind of effectiveness and this kind of power could cause a sinful, selfish man to deny himself, take up his cross and follow Jesus. Only this dying lamb of God could be a fragrant aroma in God's nose as it wafted into heaven that fateful day, wafted into heaven like a sweet smelling perfume filling a room. Speaking of perfume. The bride of Christ now smells nice, though she once reeked of death itself. All because her exalted head gave himself up for the church to set her apart from corruption, clean her up for his service and be a spotless bride for his coming. Oh, what a day that will be. So back to all those sacrifices over thousands of years by hundreds of priests and millions of sinning Israelites. Why so many sin offerings, guilt offerings, peace offerings, Passover offerings, scapegoat offerings? Why so many bulls and rams and sheep and goats and doves? Why did they have to keep offering the same sacrifices day after dreary day, week after weary week, year after monotonous year? I give you two reasons why. Number one, an ocean of animal blood could never take away one human sin. And number two, that ocean pointed to a single cleansing fountain. That would be sufficient 
to take away the sins of every child of Adam that would ever live and efficient for all who would ever believe. And so whoever wrote the book of Hebrews said this. His one offering perfected for all time those who are sanctified. His one offering perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You see, dear friends, only the elect were loosed from their sins by his blood when he purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and sovereign nation. This is why our ready champion and giant killer could shout, it is finished. That's our son of David. That's our giant killer taking the head off the serpent, putting to death, death itself. Not I am finished. Hardly. Not it is attempted. Are you kidding me? Jesus doesn't attempt anything. Not I tried. Now add your good works to it. That's blasphemy. No, it is finished means the redemption of the elect is finished. Beloved, this is the whole counsel of God. So what's my point? What's the takeaway? It's simply this. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't make us redeemable. He redeemed us. Therefore, Good Friday is a day we should celebrate, not mourn. Mourn your sin. Celebrate the cross. Jesus' death was no deposit in the first bank of possible redemption. Jesus' death was a purchase It was a divine transaction. It was a ratified new covenant signed in blood. Come, let us reason together. He either paid the sin debt of everyone equally or no one at all or some in particular. If everyone equally, then all are all were redeemed. And that means universalism. No hell. All are saved in time because all were redeemed at Calvary. For him to redeem everyone equally and then some to go to hell, that would be double jeopardy. That would be a double payment for the same sins. If it was no one at all, that would be only justice. No one saved heaven empty of the sons of Adam. That's clearly not what Scripture teaches. That leaves us with some in particular, some definitely Some received an actual ransom that day, an actual payment of a sin debt of actual people. I simply ask, how can it be any other way? And so a familiar song, a wonderful song, we've sung it tonight. I'm going to change one word, see if you can pick it. This, the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the nails, bore the cost. We stand redeemed at the cross.